The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A very lovely start to the week, ladies and gentlemen. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. It's Monday morning on the West Coast. It's actually probably lunchtime for you folks out East. And to all of you listening across the planet, hello. Because I don't know what time it is for many of you. I think it's like partway through tomorrow for some of our listeners uh, at the other end of the international dateline. Which, by the way, is uh, kind of a cool thing that they just picked a spot and they were like, this is the middle of nowhere. Let's put a dateline here. And then they realized there were actually some islands out that way, and it really screws things up for those poor folks sitting like right on the dateline or split in between the two. Look at a map and look at the time zones and how they sort of arc around different countries across the globe. It's very fun. I, okay, I'm, I'm, I like maps more than most. And I know that makes me a weirdo, and I have long since come to terms with that. I'm Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is the time of year where you actually start to see some of the, uh, we'll call you the 90% diehards, start to trickle back into the podcast. So welcome back. The 100% diehards, you guys have made it through the uh, the part of the offseason where a lot of folks just tune out basketball. Tough to do this offseason, though, isn't it? Basketball is everywhere we had the anthony davis uh press conference in los angeles here late last week that was very cool we already had uh our friday show out adrian and coach took care of that one um so that happened and then russell westbrook the trade that got broken down on friday's show as well but i haven't been able to talk about that so uh i will be offering my own opinions and that was really the stuff over the weekend we, uh, we have a lot of NBA betting odds coming out. We'll talk about a lot of that tomorrow with the great Neil Rochlani. We've got NBA MVP odds out now. We have season win totals available. I haven't broken them all down as of yet, but it'll be kind of fun, I think, to do a uh, way too early look at all of this stuff. Although, here's the thing, and there, there are two sides to that argument, and I'll bring it back up again on tomorrow's show. Way too early is also the time to get in on stuff. Because if you're going to have your money laid out for that long, six months, eight months, nine months, whatever it might be, you might as well try to capitalize before people bet into the numbers, before there are weird adjustments. The way you get punished, though, is what if something terrible happens You know, during the lead-up to the season? What if uh, a superstar gets hurt leading up to the year and has to miss two or three weeks right at the start of the season. The number's going to get adjusted down, and so you would have had you know, an opportunity to bet into it at a different number. And that's the rub. You know, that's why it's hard to make this decision. Do you bet into the number when it's a little bit juicier, or do you wait to see if something catastrophic happens? That could blow up your six-month bet before it even begins. More on that tomorrow with Neil again today, Monday... It's going to be me mostly rehashing some stuff, which I know is not the most fun in terms of NBA content. But here's the thing. 
a massive trade went down late on Thursday last week, and I didn't get to talk about it. And that's weird for me because obviously during the regular season, I have this show five days a week. During the off season, I do Monday through Wednesday. And then if something big happens, I can't just I can't just cut myself out of it. I'm a little bit too vain for that. So we'll talk Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade, and what that means for the Rockets and the Thunder going forward. Rumors we've heard on top of all of that that have sort of semi-surfaced over the weekends. And that'll largely be it. I mean, in terms of other little stuff going on, David Nawaba signed a two-year deal with the Nets. He's likely not to be much of a factor this year. Uh, Mitchell Robinson hype train update. And that might be actually where we start, just because it's sort of a, a recounting of things gone by. And that'll be about it. This will be a slightly shorter show. Since you're stuck with me rocking solo today, I don't uh, want to lecture to you for 45 minutes. I'd rather lecture you for 25 or 30. We'll ease our way into the week. Uh, really excited about tomorrow's show. And that's the thing. It's a funny thing to say. You know, Conan O'Brien, I know, is late night stuff. He always talks about how he says, we have a great show for you tonight. And uh, how it's weird to say it every single day. But he does. And I generally do. And I think today's show will be good. It'll just be shorter. A couple of things to talk about uh, before we get going. Thank you, as always, to our friends at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. HawaiianIsles.com. Hawaiian. H-A-W-A-I-I-A-N-I-S-L-E-S.com. HawaiianIsles.com is the website. You can sign up for their newsletter and get a 10% off coupon right at the outset. Uh, they've got a little pop-up window if you have any uh, customer service questions that comes up there. And then if you just scroll down a little bit, they got this big, beautiful media wall right at the top of the page. Scroll down a little bit. You can see the classic roasts, the vanilla macadamia roasts, the Keurigs. They've got the K-Cups. I think is that the right lingo? The K-Cups. They got value bags, the big Whoppers, Kona roasts. They got eight different flavors of those, I believe. Straight from Hawaii. You love the islands? Drink their coffee. Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. H.I. Kona Coffee on Twitter. Hawaiian Isles on uh, Amazon.com if you like that as well. I uh, I sent some prime to our good buddy Trevor Lane. Uh, felt good to do a, a good deed. And now to um, brag about it. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do when you do something nice, right? Brag about it. Uh, other things to promote. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our buddy Mike Pelache, who's been a guest on this podcast in the past. He uh, is a big time Pelicans guy. And now, ta-da, he is writing for Hoop Ball Pels. Hoop Ball Pelicans now have coverage. Isn't that awesome? That's freaking awesome. Mike is uh, Mike underscore Pelicans if you want to follow him on Twitter. That's uh, Mike Pelichet. So he's writing for Hoop Ball Pels. We now here at Hoop Ball have written coverage on the Pelicans. We got written coverage uh, on the Blazers from the great Jack Winter. Written coverage on the Kings from Aaron Bruski and uh, John Schifferly. We've got team podcasts on the Lakers and the Nets. And a team podcast on the Clippers is debuting later this week. I mean, I know I'm missing something. 
I think we're still covering the Wolves, too. Hoopball Wolves. So uh, these these Twitter handles is where you can follow all this stuff. Because of character limits, it's not always going to be Hoopball and then the full team name. There will be uh, points at which the, the team name is abbreviated. Uh, but you got Hoopball Wolves, which uh, I believe is actually, yeah, that's just at Hoopball Wolves. You got at Hoopball Blazers, at Hoopball Pels, at Hoopball Clips, at Hoopball Lakers, at Hoopball Kings. That's all that stuff. Pretty exciting for us here at Hoopball. Maybe less exciting for you guys out there in, in basketball country. Maybe you don't care as much about our growth as I do. That's fine. I'm a little bit more invested over here. Uh, but do check it out. Do check it out. Hoopball Pels, check out Mike Pelache's work. I'm really excited for our own Brandon Marcus here on the pod side to uh, put out that Clipper show. So check all that stuff out. We have a site redesign on our hands. The Blurb feed, also known as the Fantasy News feed, has been redesigned by the great Thomas Serio. Check that out. It's easier to just go to hoop-ball.com and click on the news feed rather than typing in the entire hyperlink. But if you wanted to, it's hoop-ball.com slash category slash NBA Fantasy News and Advice. Right? Easier to just go click on it. Go to HoopBall. Uh, it's under the Fantasy tab. You just click on that tab, and then it'll take you to the fully redesigned blurb feed. It's gorgeous. I would stack this blurb feed up against anybody else in the industry, just in terms of how easy it is to read, how easy it is to navigate. The quality of the analysis is, I would argue, the best. So check that out as well. We're really proud of all the stuff. This is what the offseason is for. It's for projects. It's for big-time stuff. So we've got these new uh, coverages starting up, new podcasts starting up, new blurb feed. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, man. There's more stuff coming. I, oh, man, I wish I could tell you more about it, but I can't yet. So that's the promo stuff here at the beginning. Uh, I want to talk about Mitchell Robinson to start this because we're. If you guys may recall that uh, basically on the very last day of the season, in April, I said Mitchell Robinson's hype train will be probably the hottest of the entire offseason and it has begun and his fantasy value is going to get obliterated obliterated by the hype train going into drafts next year we've seen this before guys get pushed and pushed and pushed and then all of a sudden the value is gone it's a discussion that's always worth having I don't care how many times we've had the exact same talk on this podcast. When it's relevant, we're going to talk about it. A couple of the guys that fall into that category uh, from last year, I would argue Ben Simmons, although he his ADP was just high right from the outset. I, I couldn't figure that one out. Donovan Mitchell, likewise, ADP was just super high from the outset. Jared Allen, really good example of someone who... Had an ADP to start, what was it, around 9,100, I think? Let me make sure I get the numbers right on this. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Not sure if I can find it anymore, just deep into the offseason. Fairly certain that his original ADP from last year was between 80 and 100, somewhere in that range. And a lot of us were looking at that and going, okay, okay, I can work with this. And then we watched as the ADP moved from 93 to 86 to 82 to 79, whatever it was. 
And as we've talked about many times in the past as well, when the ADP is shifting by that much late in the fantasy draft season, it means the actual spot where the person's getting drafted is way higher. I feel like we're too early in the offseason to do the deep dive on the math side, but I do want to touch on it a little bit. Basically, what I'm saying here is a player's ADP, average draft position, comes out not long from now, two weeks maybe. We'll probably have our first ADPs when uh, different websites start opening up their, their fantasy basketball stuff. Pretty soon. It'll be end of July, beginning, middle of August at the very latest, so probably three, four weeks at the longest from now. And then it just gets built in. Every time a league on that particular website has a draft, the data goes into the system. Thousands and thousands and thousands of very early drafts pre, this is the important part, pre-hype train, pre-hyphen-hype train, builds a firm and difficult-to-move foundation of what a guy's ADP looks like by the time most of our drafts come around. I don't care what a diehard you are. You want your draft, you know, barring dynasty leagues and stuff like that, you want your draft as close to opening night as possible because you get all the injury news beforehand, uh, or very, 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 very early so that you can get in on deals before the hype train starts. Those are your two options there. I think most of us probably push more towards having a draft really close to the start of the year because things happen. You th- things happen. You just want more data before you have your draft. But from late July through, you know, middle to late September, before the hype train gets going crazy, you've got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands probably of fantasy drafts where a guy like, and we'll talk about Jared Allen just because he was a good example from last year, a guy like Jared Allen is getting drafted around 85 or 90 because that's where he finished the previous year, around 100, even though... Obviously, overall, the end of the previous year, he was rolling along at, you know, top 60 for the last month, month and a half. Now we're going back two seasons, by the way. So then by the time you get into hype train season, which is arguably September, you've had whatever it is, 50,000 drafts where the hype train guy has been getting drafted at 90. So if he's starting, if the hype train begins, this is all math discussion now, and suddenly, the whole internet, all the fantasy analysts, the websites are all saying take Jared Allen at 45. After another 10,000 drafts, Jared Allen's ADP isn't going to shift to 45. It doesn't just reset. It puts 10,045s into the bucket to go along with the 50,090s. So one-sixth of the time he's been getting drafted at 45... And five-sixths of the time, he's been getting drafted at 90. So generally, that's going to move his ADP from 90 to about low 80s. You know, one-sixth of the way to 45, which I guess would be 9. Eh, no, no, be about 8. Seven and a half, eight. So it'll be about uh, 82, 83 would be the ADP at the end of that stretch. And that's why it's so important as we get closer to fantasy draft time now to pay attention to not just the ADP, but the movement of it. Because an ADP shift from 90 to 82 over a couple of weeks probably means the guy is getting drafted in the 40s or 50s in reality. So there's your math discussion. Okay, so his original ADP was 90 
95, something like that. By the time fantasy draft season really rolled around, and we're just going to call that October, October 1 to October 17 last year, or whatever it was. I've lost track of the days, man. It's a long time. It's a long year. Uh, Suddenly now, Jared Allen is getting rolled up with all these proven big men in the 40 range. DeAndre Ayton was in there as well, uh, also a rookie. But you're talking about a guy who went, what, 10 slots maybe behind LaMarcus Aldridge? Proven big guy? Uh, in some of my drafts, went before Miles Turner, before Marcus Gasol, before Al Horford. These are things that happen because of the hype train. The discussion now, as we shift back to Mitchell Robinson for this coming year, what an unbelievable stat set he has, right? That's the part that's such an incredible allure. Jared Allen, even in his romp at the end of the 2017-18 season, never showed the fantasy stat set that Mitchell Robinson has. He actually had a pretty good run at the end. I shouldn't I shouldn't totally discount it. He had uh, a stretch in there where he blocked two shots or more in six consecutive ball games. So there was some pretty good shot blocking stuff. But, you know, he wasn't shooting like 80%. Uh, his rebounding was okay, but not spectacular. There was never... And, you know, he was playing 25, 28 minutes a game in that stretch. There was never this per-game thing that Mitchell Robinson's done. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but it's not that far off. It's like green apples to red apples. Because we're still talking about a big man. We're still talking about a guy that's not going to be the focal point of a team's offense. We're still talking about a guy who's probably not going to be on the floor for 30 minutes a game. The differences here, uh, Jared Allen probably a little bit more polished. Mitchell Robinson, more blocks, better rebounder. Jared Allen, probably better free throw shooter. Not that either of them is very good, but Allen at 73 through his two seasons. I don't think Mitchell Robinson's getting there. So throw all that throw all that away. I mean, this most recent season, Mitchell Robinson finished inside the top 50. Despite basically not playing for the first three months of the year. In 20 and a half minutes per game, he shot 70% from the field, only 60% at the foul line. Average .8 steals, 2.4 blocks. 3.2 defensive stats in 20 and a half minutes per game. It's very easy to look at this dude who then, you know, took people's head off in summer league and say, this guy's a monster. And he very well might be. The Knicks also did pile up power forwards and centers, but I'm not even worried about digging too far into the actual nuts and bolts of what's happening with Mitchell Robinson because you know how much we love him here at Hoopball. We were uh, first to the Mitchell Robinson bandwagon. I think we built the bandwagon here at Hoopball. I mean, we were... You can go back and listen to, I think it was a live Friday show from like November where Brewski said he blew most of his uh, auction budget on Mitchell Robinson. Because he knew that if he got any time at all last year, he was going to be a total game changer. And he was. And we got yelled at 
ah, he didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he wasn't very good for like two more months after that. It was very inconsistent. And then all of a sudden, started to turn him loose a little bit. Remember, he got hurt, came back right around their game in London. And we were on this podcast saying, you got to get him before he even plays a game. Because when he gets out there and plays 16 to 20 minutes, you're not going to get him. Get him now. So we love him as much as anybody. And yet, and yet, despite that, despite the fact that we are the leading Mitchell Robinson bang the drum website of 2018-19, I am on here leading up to the 1920 season where he should be better, he should be more consistent, he should see consistent minutes telling you he's going to get overdrafted. And that's not to say I wouldn't love to end up with him. I'd love to have him on every single one of my fantasy teams. This is very different than a lot of the times where I talk about a guy getting overdrafted and just saying, ah, I'm not that interested in him anyway. This is a guy I love. You know how much I love percentages and defense, and he does three out of the four of those. He gets steals from a big man spot. His field goal percentage is through the roof. He blocks shots like a lunatic. He could average three this year. But someone's going to take him at 20. Your best case scenario, and it's a good one, make no mistake, your best case scenario for Mitchell Robinson, I think, is the Hassan Whiteside beefer season in Miami. The one after his comeback. Remember he played like half a year when he came back from overseas and then they signed him to the big contract. Uh, and then he went for 14-12 and 12 with 3.7 blocks per game. We've forgotten. I think we've forgotten how impressive that year was for Whiteside very fast. He shot 61% from the field, 65 at the foul line. So it was not good, but it didn't totally tank your team. Uh, and then the next year, you know, he ended up having to do more on offense or he wanted to. And his blocks came down from 3.7 to 2.1. And it's been a slow and steady decline. And he was actually pretty good this last year, aside from free throw shooting, which, unfortunately, for the uh, fantasy players here, that's a pretty big deal. But to me, that's what you're looking at. You know, if Mitchell Robinson gets up near that white side 2015-16 season, that's kind of your fantasy ceiling. And that was a really good fantasy season, right? I mean, we're, you know, we don't want to poke fun at what, at what an incredible job he did. If memory serves, he was a top 10 player that year. 73 games, averaging 3.7 blocks. I think he was inside the top 10. I also don't know that I believe Mitchell Robinson can sustain that level of production for an entire season. But still, I'm not on this podcast to tell you I don't believe in Mitchell Robinson. That's the whole point. I love him. I love his game. He's amazing. I just spent a minute, four minutes ago, telling you about how we went nuts for him here at Hoop Ball, and we were clobbering him, and everybody, and we were yelling at everybody to pick him up everywhere, and there was a lot of pushback. We stuck to it, and that was one of the ones that hit last year. There were some misses, make no mistake, but that was one of the ones that hit, and yet, here I am telling you, you're going to see this guy going at 15 or 20 and that's just too much to pay for someone, anyone on the Knicks. Their roster is 
uh, I mean, crazy. It doesn't do it justice. They've signed every power forward in the NBA. I, I mean, I, you know, I can't even wrap my head around it. They have Taj Gibson. They have Bobby Portis. They have, obviously, Mitchell Robinson. They have Julius Randle. They have Marcus Morris. The fear here, of course, is that uh, Mitchell Robinson is is going to get is going to lose his minutes to Julius Randle. They brought in all these dudes. Kevin Knox, by the way, I don't I don't think you're going to see him play in the four. You'll probably see him more at the three. Uh, you have to ask yourself, how many minutes do we think Tosh Gibson plays? How many minutes do we think Bobby Portis plays? And start to suck those away from Randle and Robinson. I. I believe Julius Randle is locked into a massive role. So of the four and the five spots on the floor, you know, you got 96 minutes to work from here. This is pretty simple math. You probably look at a guy like Julius Randle and assume he gets at least as many minutes as he did last year with New Orleans, which was 30 and a half. Could he get to 32? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Let's call it 31. That still leaves 65 other minutes at the four and the five spot to split between Marcus Morris, Taj Gibson. Now, Morris could also slide down and play a little three at some point. Marcus Morris, Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and Mitchell Robinson. 65 minutes between those four guys. What do we think? Marcus Morris, does he play, you know, 14 at the three and 14 at the four? All right, well, that breaks us down to 51 minutes remaining. Bobby Portis, all of his minutes are going to be at the 4 and the 5. So what is we, what is he looking at? 24, 25 minutes? Now we got 26 minutes left between Mitchell Robinson and Taj Gibson. Starting to get a little bit hairy here, folks. Is Taj Gibson not going to play? That'd be a weird place for him to go and not play. I'm sure a lot of teams would have loved to give him a little bit less money and a chance to... Go beat people up under the rim. He's a solid old goat. 34-year-old vet, Taj Gibson. So that's the thing. And and obviously this minute breakdown that we just threw out there might not be accurate. Maybe Marcus Morris plays all of his minutes at the three. That would put 14 back into the power forward bucket. Maybe Julius Randle only plays 28-29 minutes because they have so many bodies there. But no matter how you break it down, you're talking about, again, Taj Gibson... Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle. Five guys, all of whom you could argue have a claim to some of these minutes because they just signed most of these dudes for 96 minutes. Even if you split it evenly, right down the middle, you're looking at about 19 minutes a person. That ain't much. And it's about enough to get Mitchell Robinson into fantasy value, right? We talked about top 50 in 20 minutes a game last year. Does he play 22? And this is what you, I think this is the breakdown you have to do going into it. Because any minute he gets, Mitchell Robinson gets over about 22, 23 minutes a game is a minute that's going to be coming away from a veteran or not. I mean, it doesn't have to be a veteran. You know, Bobby Portis is only 24. 
Julius Randle's also only 24, which may surprise you. It surprised me a little bit. To one of these guys that they just gave a bunch of money to. I don't know what the hell's going on in New York. And, you know, we're going to see the Fizdale stuff where there's going to be some hot hand situations going on. Some guys will play, some guys won't. You might see a game where Bobby Portis just totally vanishes. Uh, Julius Randle's a very safe play there. He's going to get his minutes. He's the he's the only guy on that team that can score. Now, I'm, just talk, I'm not talking about the front court. I'm talking about everybody. It's Julius Randle, uh, maybe R.J. Barrett, who just came in. I mean, is it, are we really thinking that, like, Damian Dotson is going to be counted upon to score this year? Is Kevin Knox going to make a leap? I don't know. Alfred Payton's not a scorer. Marcus Morris will have to do a little bit. They got a lot of bodies on that team, and not that many of them are known for their offense. And the ones that are are in a logjam. So, yes, I love Mitchell Robinson, but I also think the hype train's going to carry him too high. I hope that there's a little bit of a drawback, but certainly Summer League didn't do anything to slow it down. All I'm saying is, let's watch the ADP, and let's try to keep our heads. Well, that discussion took longer than I expected. Oops. I still want to talk about Russell Westbrook and uh, the uh, Westbrook-Chris Paul trade, obviously. Um... It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Chris Paul, of course, I mean, you guys obviously got the news already. Chris Paul is now a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Westbrook goes to the Houston Rockets for a very weird pairing of the number one and number two usage guys in the NBA. NBA Twitter is a weird place. and It feels like I'm making a jump here, but I promise you I'm not. NBA Twitter is a weird place because NBA Twitter refuses to believe in Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor, which I believe is O-C-C-A-M. O-C-C-A-M. Exists that there are multiple explanations for any event. Occam's Razor suggests that the one that requires the least amount of mind-bending thought is usually right. Basically, the simple iteration is, uh, the simplest solution is often the correct one. If you dig a little bit deeper, uh, Occam's Razor also says, hey, uh, you know, the, the more assumptions you have to make, the more unlikely the explanation becomes. And so with this trade, NBA Twitter has totally ignored Occam's razor and we've gone so headlong into making all the assumptions when you hear Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to play together what's the first thing that pops into your head oh crap these are the two guys that initiate their team's offense this feels like a bad fit that's probably Occam's razor and yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But as you get into the other stuff, and this is where NBA Twitter takes up, lots of assumptions being made. Can we assume that they'll figure it out? Can we assume that Russell Westbrook will uh, be okay with playing off-ball a little bit more? Can we assume that James Harden would ever be okay with playing off-ball a little bit more? The answer is, yeah, but not for long. 
There's going to be, I'll predict it right now. I'll, I'll plant my flag in this one. July 15th, 2019 edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, the Rockets are going to have a honeymoon period because these two guys are buddies. Westbrook, Harden, remember they both uh, came in with the Thunder. They've known each other since they were young. They're both, uh, I think they played against or with one another in, in as young as like elementary school. They, they go way the hell back, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, they're both California guys. James Harden, SoCal guy. He's out of Bellflower. Where's Russell Westbrook from? He's a SoCal guy, too. I know he went to UCLA, but I'm pretty sure he grew up in, in Southern California. Yeah, he's a Long Beach guy. So, you know, they played, they played against one another as kids. They're friends on and off the court. It's sort of a different dynamic than the Chris Paul thing. So you're going to see these guys find a way to get along kind of the way that Paul George and Westbrook did for the first year. And then we heard Paul George wanted to get out. <laughs> things, things change. Even for friends, things change. So, yeah, they'll get along. They're not going to be at each other's throats the way that Chris Paul is with everybody he plays with because they're buddies, and you try to make it work. You know, it's like living with your roommate. It's living with it's like your, your best friend being your roommate. Seems like a great idea on paper. In practice, maybe not the greatest idea because things can happen... That can get you guys at each other's throats. Whereas if you just live next door to one another, you'll be best friends forever. Then your best friend isn't the one, you know, leaving stains in the in the shower or something. I, I mean, I don't know what 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 do roommates what do roommates get upset about these days? Instagramming a picture of your your hair clump in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's been a while since I had a roommate that um, I wasn't married to. Uh messy messy there's an easy one uh your your best friend is a very messy roommate and then you end up hating one another these things happen that's basically what's happening here but you know what when you moved in with your best friend you were like yeah you played video games you went out everything was freaking hunky-dory but as soon as the dog days set in look for things to get a little bit goofy and nba twitter has gone goofy Everybody's trying to explain to me how this is a good match. No, it's, yeah, fine. They're going to be better than 30, 100-year-old Chris Paul. Russell Westbrook is a better basketball player than Chris Paul right now. But it's not a better fit. It's just an equally bad fit with a more athletic, younger basketball player. And yes, Daryl Morey is a riverboat gambler, and you gotta love it. I love it. I love that he's willing to take a chance. But this is not him going about his business the normal way. He brought in the player in the NBA who is among the least analytically inclined games. Russell Westbrook, good on the fast break. That's where he excels in the sort of advanced stats department. Uh, He's good at attacking the rim. But he takes a ton of contested mid-range jumpers. His offense is incredibly exciting, but also incredibly limited. He's not a good three-point shooter. Sorry. You can you can hit me all day with, well, you know what? He shot 30-whatever percent from uh, the right wing just below the break. Okay, fine. All of his shots are not going to come from there. Contested pull-up jumpers. Uh... This is a weird fit, folks. So let's stop making wild assumptions about how things are going to get, how these guys are going to somehow change their games 
And instead, let's just admit what we all know is true, and this isn't a great fit. But, but, did Daryl Morey and the Rockets have to do it? Absolutely. Hard yes. It's the right move to make for Houston. The Rockets, in a perfect world, need a guy like a Clay Thompson. He's the fit. Get one of the best shooters in the world, ever, who can play defense and exist off-ball with superstar-level talent and put that dude next to James Harden. I like that they didn't trade away all of their other guys, the Eric Gordons, the Clint Capellas. Uh, they didn't have to give up all of those pieces to try to bring in the, the, the second superstar. Uh, they got rid of the guy that was butting heads with their superstar, James Harden, and to kind of keep him happy. But, I mean, let's be real here, folks. Russell Westbrook is not the right fit for that team. Are they going to win basketball games? Hell yeah, they are. Are they going to be fun to watch? Absolutely. Does this allow them now to continue to have a superstar on the floor for all 48 minutes during the game, and one where you can safely assume a hamstring is not going to explode during the 14 minutes James Harden is not playing? Yeah, absolutely. This is why I said the Rockets had to make this deal. But don't try to tell me that both things are true. They didn't have to make the deal, and is it the perfect deal? Don't have to be one and the same. Yes, I'm clapping my hands together. I'm mushing the two ideas together here as I do the podcast. If you got one one hand, had to make the deal. That's my left hand. Is it the right deal in my right hand? They're two different things. They're independent of one another. Rockets got one out of two. They had to make the deal because you got to get Chris Paul out of there because he was blowing up the locker room. And you had to make the deal because you got younger. But is it the right guy to put next to James Harden? Oh, no. No. So that's why, sorry, the obvious answer is the right one. But, I know this is circuitous logic here. Look back at last year. Look back at the NBA standings from last season. The Houston Rockets... uh, largely got to where they were with just James Harden and spare parts. Sorry, Clint Capella. Because Chris Paul was hurt. He was never really quite himself. And they were the four seed with 53 wins last year. So there's a very real chance that they get back to that number or higher. Now, I'll admit, I think other teams in the NBA probably got better around them more than Houston did. But they're still going to be a very good team. They're going to be very competitive. I just don't, I don't put that pairing above some of the other ones that we've seen. I think a healthy Golden State is clearly a cut above. I mean, we saw what Dame Lillard did to Russell Westbrook last year, but I think I could argue that Houston is head-to-head now better than Portland, right? Because Portland beat uh, some good teams in the playoffs. Make no mistake. They took down the Thunder. They took down the Nuggets. Uh, I I don't care what the, the records say. I think the Rockets were better than the Thunder and the Nuggets last year. And I think they will be this year as well. But again, I don't put Houston above Utah, either L.A. team, come playoff time. I mean, Houston might be the number. They might have the second most wins in the West at the end of the regular season. Because you got these two guys that don't know how to turn their motor off. 
load management will uh, nothing will be managed. No loads will be managed in Houston. I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna watch a ton of Rockets basketball. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, this hurts both guys. I don't think there's any arguing that. We can try to say, well, maybe, you know, uh uh-uh. I think it's multiple reasons, too. James Harden played 37 minutes a game last year, guys. I said 14 off the floor this year. I mean, it's a liberal estimate on that one. Uh, He's unbelievably durable, so tough, 37 minutes a game. That number's going to come down. It has to. He has a running mate now. They'd love to dial him back. Situation warranted that he couldn't come off the floor last year. They were dog duty when James Harden wasn't on the floor. The team just went to hell. Chris Paul wasn't himself. He was hurt most of the year. He was slow the rest. They just weren't good when he wasn't on the floor. And when he was, they were very good. So that number's going to come down. Even without the weird fit stuff that we already talked about, Harden's just not going to play 37 minutes this coming year. He shouldn't, and if you're a Rockets fan, you should hope he doesn't. So all of his numbers are going to have to come down. I don't think he's taking 25 shots a game. I don't think he's taking 11 free throws a game. I don't think he's making five three-pointers a night this coming year. All of those things are just going to have to come down. Look at the rest of James Harden's career. And this last year was kind of the anomaly. Not that he hasn't consistently taken a lot of shots per game, but he took almost five shots more per game this year than any other season in his entire NBA career. And that, again, speaks to how little help he had. He always piles up the minutes. You know, he's played 38 minutes a game a couple times in his career, 36, whatever. This is an opportunity now with Westbrook for them to bring him back to earth a little. Take him down to 34, 35 minutes. Take his shots down from 25 back to 19 or 20. So I think you're looking at a James Harden whose scoring comes down from 36 to probably 29, 30 maybe, if that. Steals are going to come down just from being on the floor less. Assists are going to come down from being on the floor less. Rebounds, oh my God, rebounds. Rebounds might disappear entirely with Westbrook on the glass unless he totally changes what he's doing out there. So I'm giving Harden a little bit of a, of a kick on this one. Down the list, he was basically tied with Anthony Davis in the number one spot before AD stopped playing, and so then James Harden more or less ran away with the top spot this last year. Uh, he's not going to be the number one player this coming season. He's still going to be a very safe you know, top three, top four fantasy guy. Uh, but all of his stuff is coming down. All of it. I wouldn't be surprised if every single number... I mean, field goal percent is a little bit of a uh, roll of the dice with him because he's pretty consistent in that regard. And you talk about, oh, could he have an efficiency bump? Yeah, I mean, remember his third year back in OKC, he shot 49% from the field. The volume he takes, it's just not going to be that high. But it could come up from 44 to, you know, 45, 45 and a half. But all the other stuff... There's almost no question it's coming down. Every single category, you'll see a dip, which is good for turnovers, but you know what I mean. For Russell Westbrook, it all comes down to whether or not he can make a free throw. Does getting him out of Oklahoma City change whatever it was that happened to him? 
where now he can't make a free throw anymore? Worst year of his career, and by a lot. I mean, this is a guy that was an 82, 84% free throw shooter for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Nine years he shot 80% or higher. And then 74, and then 66. What happened to you, Russ? I'm not willing to roll the dice on his free throw numbers coming back. He's also not averaging a triple-double. It's not happening. The assists won't be high enough. Steals will come down. The only thing you can hope for with Russ is that both percentages get better. So I don't think he's ended up on any of my teams. I, I don't. I think the name is so powerful that he won't fall far enough for it to matter. And you know, he was drafted 17th in my 12-team league last year, and he didn't come close to that because of the free throw situation. He's number 31. Yeah, sure. You got points, rebounds, assists, steals, some threes. All right, fine, but bad turnovers, bad free throw percent, bad field goal percent. That was that was a kick in the gut in nine cat in particular. His numbers are coming down. He could counterbalance that if the percentages take a leap, and they could. I mean, what if he jumps back into the eighties? This is a first round guy before his free throw percent fell apart. If his free throw jumps back into the eighties, you could have the steal of the draft. He's probably not going to get drafted until after twenty, maybe around twenty. 20 to 25, somewhere in that range. Uh, but I don't have the stones. You know my feeling on the first couple rounds of your fantasy draft. That's not really the spot to be taking a ton of chances. Not, not unless you're in like the $10,000 leagues where you have to, you have to go nuts because everybody's so good. Most traditional 12-team leagues where you got a couple hundred bucks on the line or each person's putting a couple hundred bucks on the line, whatever it is, you know, your winner gets 1000 1000 something like that. You're going to be in a spot where you want to make sure your early round draft picks are giving you close to the value you grab them at. And with James Harden, he probably gets slightly overdrafted this year because of his unreal most recent season. But he's going to take a hit. I'm sorry, there's just no way he doesn't. There's no way he doesn't. His year was incredible in every sense of the word. But there's just no way he doesn't take a hit. Even the best of them. Even the best of them take a hit. I mean, even LeBron, right? Like when he went from Cleveland to Miami and totally took over that team, even LeBron took a hit. His scoring came down three. His blocks came down by .4. Assists down by one and a half. It wasn't a huge dip for LeBron. It was a bigger dip for the other guys. <laughs> Let's remember. So maybe that's what you get from Harden. Maybe he takes the small dip and Westbrook takes the bigger dip. But either way, there's just no denying that they're going to take hits. The question is whether it's small, medium, or large. And that's my feelings on that trade. Occam's razor, friends. Occam's razor. They're going to be fun. They're going to win games. It's not the right fit, and it hurts both their fantasy numbers. Andre Iguodala watched 2019 in full effect right now. He might be traded by the time we do another show. Tomorrow we're talking betting, though, and I cannot wait. Early look at some of the uh, season win total numbers. We're not going to give our suggestions on them just yet, unless Neil is ready. I guess he could do his if he's ready to roll. Uh, we got the MVP numbers. We'll talk about those on tomorrow's program as well. 
Uh, Brandon Marcus, possibly on Wednesday. It'll depend if he's not working on that Clippers show. Make sure to check that out when it drops officially later on this week. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Wrapping it up here on a Monday morning. Enjoy your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.